Good morning. Um, this is going to wrap up our series that we've been doing now for several weeks called Homewreckers, series on the family, and uh, we're going to finish up today with a time of question and answer, and so that's why there's some microphones off to the side here um, if you want to uh, ask a question. Uh, if you'd rather not use a microphone, technology is an amazing thing. I've got this little tablet up here. And Cliff, if you'll advance the slide, uh, there's a number. You can actually text me a question. <laughs> How cool is that? And it probably won't even tell me your name, and I wouldn't say it anyway. So if you want to uh, anonymously ask a question, just text it to that number, and it'll come up on this little tablet here. Okay? And I solicited questions for a few weeks, and I got a few of those, so I'll start with those, and then if we get more questions, we'll go from there. And if we don't get any more, we'll just go to the picnic early, okay? So that, that's what we're going to do. All right. Well, come on. So um, I'm going to pray here in just a minute, but I just want to say a couple things. You know, one of the things I've tried to emphasize throughout this series is when it comes to doing family, and, and I've said it before, uh, family probably is the greatest potential for, uh, for joy or for misery, uh, depending on the family and, and how we do family. Because you're talking about the closest relationships people are capable of, and we all know we're flawed, we all know we're broken. And so um, family tends to emphasize the joys, and it also tends to emphasize the sorrows, but uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing that God created, uh, not only just for meeting our needs, but for shaping us, for developing us into the people he wants us to be. Um, and there are a lot of different ideas about family. And the fundamental foundational principle that we're operating on is that because God created the family, God knows best how to do family. And so that's why we're going to his word and looking. So as as I interact with questions today, I'm going to be seeking to give the best answer I can based on what God's Word teaches, okay? So you might not like it, um, but it really the issue isn't whether you like my answer or not. The issue is whether or not my answer accurately reflects what God's Word teaches. And so I would challenge you, if, if something I say today bothers you or irritates you or makes you mad or whatever... Do what we're told the Thessal uh, was it the, no it was the Bereans uh, in the book of Acts. They said they went to their uh, scriptures and they examined carefully to see if what the apostles were teaching was true, based on the Word of God. Okay, so uh, that's what we're going to do, and I'll just start with the questions I have. And if you want to uh, text me one or ask one with a microphone, uh, we'll see how this goes. Uh, Ian showed me how to use this, so. Hopefully, yeah, I can't even unlock, oh, there it goes, okay. All right, but first, let's pray, uh, okay? Gracious Father, um, you are a God of love, you are a God of mercy, you are a God of grace, and your words are gracious, they are life-giving truth. Uh, Lord, we don't always hear them that way, because sometimes they go against our natural inclinations, in fact, they, they often do. Uh, but you have spoken them for our good. You have spoken them for our ultimate joy. You have spoken them for uh, our healing. And so, Lord, will you help, them, help us hear your word that way today? 
And if something we hear is just out of sync with our hearts, will you help us understand and help us uh, truly bring our will in sync with your will? Uh, so, Lord, we just we need you to do that. Will you guide what I say? Will you guide how we hear it, how we think, how we respond? Uh, give us ears to hear and hearts to embrace, and then the, the curse, live it out. Uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'll start with the questions that uh, I received. And the first one is, what is the church's position on same-sex marriage? Obviously, a, uh, a very controversial topic in our culture and the recent Supreme Court decision and all. Uh, actually, stating our church's position on same-sex marriage is fairly simple. Um, what's complicated is addressing all the various issues that flow out of that, and um, clearly won't be able to address every conceivable situation, but hopefully what I say will uh, give some guidelines here. And again, let me just reiterate that what, what our church position is, is uh, based on what we believe about the Bible. It's because of what we believe the Bible is that we have the positions we do. Um, and so we want all of our beliefs we, uh, on all issues, not just marriage, but on everything, to be built, to be guided on what the Bible teaches. And what the Bible teaches on this topic is really pretty clear. Um, Tim Keller, I'm going to quote from him. Tim Keller's a pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. And um, he has a book called The Meaning of Marriage, which I highly recommend if you want to read a good book on marriage. That's, that's an excellent one. But let me quote what he says in this book. Quote, The Christian understanding of marriage is based on a straightforward reading of biblical texts. This means we define marriage as a lifelong monogamous relationship. That means one of each a monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. According to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect his saving love for us in Christ, to refine our character, to create stable human community for the birth and nurture of children, and to accomplish all of this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union. It needs to be said, therefore, that this Christian vision for marriage is not something that can be realized by two people of the same sex. That is the unanimous view of the biblical authors, end quote. Um, there have been uh, a number of books written, uh, especially lately, with people attempting to defend and say that, you know, Christians, people who take the Bible seriously, really can support, endorse, champion redefining marriage to include same-sex unions. And typically what those books do is they go into some of the places where homosexual relationships are prohibited or talked about in negative ways and attempt to show why those don't apply uh, today to uh, this issue. What usually gets overlooked, though, in such attempts is 
looking not just at what the Bible says negatively about homosexual behavior, but what it says positively about what marriage is. And that's what I like about Keller's definition. He's actually taking what the Bible says very positively about marriage and how it defines marriage as that uh, union of the complementary sexuality of male and female. And if you go back and you read uh, the creation account of of, uh, mankind's creation, uh, it says very specifically that God created humanity, male and female, and then in the marriage union, there is a bringing, it's almost a reunification of, of humanity in that, in that uh, complementary uh, relationship between male and female. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 19.4. By the way, um, if you want, you can uh, grab a Bible. If you don't know uh, Matthew 19.4, I've got one of the Bibles that's from one of those racks there, so I can actually give you the page number if you want to look it up. Matthew 19.4 is page 824 in this uh, version. And Jesus is responding there to a question about marriage and divorce. And the interesting thing is Jesus takes it right back to the beginning. And he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is where Jesus addresses what marriage is, and he takes it right back uh, to the creation account. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, five members of the U.S. Supreme Court have now redefined marriage for the whole nation. So we now, those of us who... Uh, hold to a biblical definition of marriage, have now been put in a position of holding a view of marriage that's contrary to the law of the land and contrary to what many people in our society think. So the question is, how do we deal with that? Let me, let me give you what I think would just be some, some things to think about. Um, the first one uh, would be to grieve, but don't despair. Grieve, but don't despair. Grieve the hurt that's going to be experienced by many people. Uh, This is a massive uh, tidal wave shift in society. And uh, given that God's word is given to us for our ultimate good, that means whenever we go outside of God's design, inevitably there is hurt. Uh, There is going to be damage. And Christians of all people should stand ready to offer help and encouragement and healing to those who are hurting. So there will be hurt, and we should grieve that. Uh, We should grieve those who react to this issue in a very hateful, angry way. That is also grievous, uh, because they're not responding to the issue with Christ-like love. Um, But the thing not to do is despair. And to despair means to to believe it's hopeless, to utterly withdraw. We shouldn't sit around feeling sorry for ourselves, okay? Uh, Someone pointed this out to me. Uh, I read this. This was really good. When Jesus first sent his followers out into the world to share his good news and make disciples of all nations, when he did that, those disciples had absolutely no support from government, from pop culture, 
um, they encountered a lot of opposition. And yet, God used them in their faithful proclamation of God's truth in love. He used them to turn the world upside down. So, uh, despair is not okay. um, And, you know, anger is really not okay. Um, We are to have confidence in the sovereignty and goodness of God and be obedient to him. Uh, Another thing to do, obviously, is to pray because only God can change people's hearts, so we should be praying. Uh, Third, speak the truth and act on the truth in love. You know, we're, we're told that. Speak the truth in love. Act on the truth in love. And finding that balance is really important. Because truth without love, truth without love is harsh, it's cold. But love without truth is just sentimental gush. And it really doesn't help people if we are gushy and not truthful with them. Um, Love is kind of an unanswerable argument. It's hard to fight with love. But it's sometimes very difficult. Now, somebody asked a question in another context. So if you had some, uh, if you had a friend who was going to, um, you know, enter into uh, a same-sex union and marriage ceremony, uh, should you attend or not? That's a very, very difficult question, partly because the Bible doesn't raise it specifically. Um, and that's, that's one of those places where finding the balance between truth and love is going to be a big challenge. Um, also because in the book of Romans chapter 1, it speaks very negatively of give, giving hearty approval to those who are engaging in acts that God says will lead to judgment. So I guess I would have to be thinking, what would my presence there communicate? Would it communicate that I'm celebrating this this choice, this decision, or not, um, I think I would need to have a conversation with whoever invited me and just say, you know, this, this put me in a very difficult place because I love you. I really do. And I, I want to be supportive of you, but what you're doing is something that I think is a mistake. And I don't think in the long run it's, it's a good thing. So I want to communicate I love you, but I can't really celebrate what what you're doing here and but it probably is going to really depend on the relationship you have with the person and things it's it's very difficult uh the other thing i would say is we ought to really welcome and befriend people who struggle with same-sex attraction i i've said it before when i talk on this issue or other issues uh everybody has desires they have to say no to that's part of following jesus we are disordered in our desires and our thinking. and We live in a disordered, broken world. And part of that disorder affects our desires. Some people have asked, well, you know, where do those desires come from? I don't really know. Um, I don't know where some of the desires I have come from. Uh, but everybody has desires they have to say no to. If we're going to follow Jesus and and walk the path he's called us to walk, there are going to be things that we want to do that we have to say no to. And uh, biblically, the issue is not so much the desires, but what you do with the desires, 
and what the Bible says are not good are acting on desires that lead us away from God's design. But so there are going to be people who struggle with uh, desires for relationships that are biblically not okay. Uh, whether that's talking about an adulterous relationship, whether that's talking about a same-sex relationship, whether that's talking about some other relationship that the Bible says is not what uh, marriage and sexuality is supposed to be. So, uh, you know, if someone has the attraction, that's, that's the thing that, you know, we as believers in Christ need to help each other. We need to be honest. We need to help each other with any desire we're struggling with that we can't legitimately fulfill if we're trusting Christ and following him. Uh, and then just so you know, our elders are in a process of reviewing our policies, our constitution bylaws, because we want to make sure our position is consistent, that it's expressed consistently and lovingly and truthfully. Um, we have a policy on weddings, um, which basically says that you know uh, any type of ceremony that occurs on our facilities has to uh, be consistent with what the biblical definition of marriage is. And so uh, basically anytime somebody wants to get married here, they, they have to sign a document that says that they're in agreement with that. Uh, that marriage is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman, and marriage is intended by God to last as long as both spouses are living. And Okay. Does anybody want to ask a follow-up question to that, or do you want me to move on? Go ahead. Is this on? Okay. Yep. Um, you were saying that uh, most uh, people who struggle with that relationship, how do you approach people who are embroiled in that relationship? I have a sister and I have a daughter. Mm-hmm who are in that relationship. And I've been called, you know, judgmental. Sure. Yeah. Well, how do you approach them? Um, yeah. The, the people typically play, and we maybe have all done this, but we typically play the judgment judgmental card anytime uh, a Christian or somebody says something that we feel is, um, you know, basically saying our, our behavior or whatever we're doing is not okay. Uh, that's probably one of the most misused verses in all of Scripture, judge not that you be not judged. What Jesus is saying there is don't go around with a condemning attitude. But the Bible is very clear that we are to, dis- we are to discern what is truth, what is good, and what isn't. And the basis for it is not our personal opinion, but what God has said. Um, You know, someone embroiled in it, you're basically talking about people who have embraced that lifestyle and see nothing wrong with it and are just, well, I I feel like we do that with anybody who's involved in behavior that is contrary to Scripture. We love them, and we speak to say the truth, and we can probably expect a fair amount of... uh, disapproval yeah. or disagreement. There's that pat saying of love the sinner and hate the sin. Right. It's, uh, that's, that's a tricky statement yeah. because people we have a very difficult time. If, see, what's happened here is um, same-sex attraction 
has been understood now as, as key to a person's identity. So if you don't accept my attraction and how I live that out, you're fundamentally rejecting me as a person. The Bible never elevates our sexual desires to the level of identity. And one of the places we see that spelled out is in the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, This is in chapter 6. On the Rack Bibles, this is page 955. Uh, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, you need to understand that the things he's about to describe, he's not talking about, uh, you know, something... Uh, it's not talking about like a, a one-time or a, you know something you stumble and fall into. He's talking about people who have embraced these things as their way of life, and they're not repentant about it. Okay, but notice what he says: the unrighteous, those who live this way, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither, neither the sexually immoral. Now that word refers to any sexual behavior outside of God's design. So unmarried people who engage in sex, this applies. Married people who are engaging in sex with someone other than their spouse, this applies. Same term, it's very broad. Uh, Pornography would would be applicable to this. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. So notice what he's doing. He's saying, this is where you lived, but now God has uh, saved you, and this is no longer your lifestyle. So what we've experienced here, to to embrace something as as a core identity that God calls us to leave behind is a mistake. Yes. Hi, Ann. Hi. Um, I am somewhat confused because I know there's a place I've read in the Bible that says, you know, you should stay away from people who who don't believe the same things that you do, and they resent that. And then another one is is to help them, um, try to help them. It may not change their mind completely, but at least maybe it's just... You plant a seed or, you know, you help them out a little bit and mentor them. Right. Um, let me see if I can remember. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to one of the churches, and I can't remember where it is right now, but he says, when I told you not to associate with sinners, I did not at all mean the people of the world who are sinners, because in that case, you'd have to leave the world. But I'm telling you not to associate with a so-called believer who's engaged in uh, unrepentant sinful behavior. Okay, We're all sinners, right? But as Christians, if, if we're a believer in Jesus, we are called to uh, follow him and obey him. And so... The distinction that's made there is the difference between, you know, having a relationship with people who make no pretense, no profession 
of, of being a follower of Christ versus those who do claim to follow Christ but are living in ways that are directly contrary to Scripture. And with those situations, we are called as brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside and say, hey, uh, what I'm seeing doesn't match up with Scripture, and so uh, this isn't okay. And if a person defies that and says, that's too bad, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to go ahead and live this way that's contrary to Scripture, the process involves at some point uh, taking others, and the goal here is restoration. It's not punishment, but it's restoration. And at some point, the biblical prescription is, if a person is defiant against what Scripture teaches and, and how the church is seeking to embrace them and bring them to repentance, then we are to um, basically not continue to have uh, friendship and fellowship with them um, and in hopes that that exclusion will bring about a change of heart. The goal is always restoration and repentance. So then, does that mean Could you come up to the mic just so everybody can hear? I guess I'm still not quite clear on when you when you do you help them then and what's the line you know some kind of line there I didn't get that well okay so uh, the the <laughs> the line would be we stand ready to help anybody and the, all we need is the slightest willingness to consider what the truth is and 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 basically. Uh, an attitude that says, I want to do it God's way. Help me do it God's way. Or I'm struggling with this. I'm having a hard time understanding this. Help me understand it. Any kind of attitude that says, I really do want to love Jesus and I want to be obedient to him. I don't understand the situation or I don't know how to live this way. It's, it's that attitude of humble um, and, and repent, humility and repentance. Uh, yes, I would, I'm a bit concerned about um, our future to the fact that there's transgender mm -hmm. and where we as a church are going to address that and how we're going to be able to um, know that for sure this particular person was born naturally uh, a girl or a boy and so forth. I appreciate the stance that we are at, but I didn't hear any of that in that information that was given. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yes, as society changes, it's hard to keep up. Um, transgender, as I understand it, basically means a person who feels that their, um, their true gender identity is different from the uh, sexual identification they were born with. Okay. I don't know that we, the elders have actually had a full discussion on this, but... Um, fundamentally what we have is we have somebody who wishes to embrace an identity that's contrary to the one they were born with, okay? Um, and which would imply that they're not embracing the identity that God gave to them. And we would want to help people embrace the identity that God has given them. So how that would play out in a variety of situations, I don't know. But uh, I, would, I would think that if, if somebody is seeking to live contrary to the identity God wants them to have, the, the goal would be 
to restore them to an embracing of their identity, regardless of whatever surgical procedures they may have had or whatever. Uh, we want people to embrace the identity God gives them in Christ. Agreed. But as you've uh, indicated on the documentation that it's not addressed um, in that information that the bylaws that you indicated. So as a church, hopefully we'll come to some kind of solution since the elders have not brought that up. But just my mind. Okay. You know. Yep. People that Appreciate it. <laughs> Any other follow-up on those particular questions? i got to keep turning my pad on to see if there's uh, something. Whoops. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> There's a whole bunch. Uh, the church, the family's under attack by the changing culture and extreme change of politics. Why is the church not more politically active? Okay. Um, our policy is, and we have, um, if, if you weren't around back when uh, R74 was presented to Washingtonian, Washington voters. I think that was back in 2012. That was a referendum on uh, the governor and the legislature redefining marriage to include same-sex unions. And at the time, uh, the elders did issue uh, a document and ask uh, that, that we as a church pray and that we vote uh, accordingly, because we don't think this change is healthy, that it's good for society, and biblically we can't support this. So it's it's not true that we never uh, advocate political involvement. In fact, I do advocate political involvement, but I'm not going to take positions on every candidate or a conceivable issue. The only issues we tend to speak out on are those that are directly, you can make a direct application from Scripture on this particular thing. So we have spoken out on issues related to uh, sanctity of human life and on the this, this same-sex issue, uh, redefining marriage. So, but we have to all realize that, um, you know, we as Christians, as citizens, as individuals, in our form of government, which is basically a, um, uh, a republic, um, a representative democracy, we are told in Scripture to be in submission to the governing authorities. And the governing authorities want us to vote. And so Christians should be voting. And I've talked on that several times. Uh, and we should be voting according to biblical principles. But we have to understand, we're not going to change culture fundamentally. You can change laws all you want, but if hearts don't change, society doesn't really change. And our primary responsibility as a church is not to be involved politically, but to be involved proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So that's our primary responsibility, and uh, we don't want to get uh, sidetracked. Uh, we should be involved, we should uh, speak be speaking the truth in love, and we should be voting wisely. Can I, can I follow up on that? Uh, yeah. Okay, speak up. Okay, that was my question. 
So, but we have Christians who are not voting because the candidates that we have to choose from may be taking a position politically that they don't agree with, as in the abortion issue. So no one votes at all. So we get the worst candidate because we won't vote for the the better of the two evils. And I just I'm just tired of losing elections because Christians don't vote. Vote. I didn't really hear a question there. So um all right. Well, okay. Well, well, I will say this. This you brought up a very, very difficult issue when you bring up the abortion issue because while I would agree that you know if you get if you're in a situation with the what do you call it, the better of two evils or whatever is a situation the the problem I I'll tell you I fundamentally cannot in good conscience vote for someone who does not see the problem. Well, if, if their position uh, or their, um, their office is one that could actually... Now, if they're running for, I don't know, county trash collector or something, then maybe, maybe their view on some issues will not ever come into play. But to me, uh, when you say this person will not act to uphold uh, basic human, the sanctity of human life, and will actually seek to undermine that, to me, that's, that's like saying, could you vote for a person? Uh, I, you know, it's always brought up as a litmus test thing. Is that a litmus test? Just because somebody is pro-life doesn't automatically make them a good candidate. But the problem is, being unwilling to uphold the sanctity of human life could disqualify somebody for office. Just like if somebody said, I'm personally against wife beating, or I'm personally against slavery, but I think the slave owner or the husband should have the right to choose. That person could never get elected. That's an unthinkable position. I think we should have the same attitude toward those who refuse to protect. If somebody says, I'm against abortion personally, but I would not... Uh, you know, it's it's not my business to tell people whether they have the right to choose or not. It, it, this is getting us a little off topic, but if you really want to analyze pro-choice arguments, you need to take those arguments and you need to apply them to a baby that's just been born, a newborn baby. And if those arguments won't work for a newborn baby, they shouldn't work for an unborn baby. Now, um, apart from... Apart from that particular moral absolute issue, yes, I think very often it is a choice between, you know, which and, and to, to disengage from the political process just because we don't love any of the particular candidates, I don't think is a good thing either. So by and large, I would agree with Christians should be voting because that's part of submitting to the governing authorities, but uh, I can see why there would be some cases where you might not be able to vote for on a particular office either candidate because of a moral position. Well, there's another box called write in. Uh, well that's true. There is. Um, all right. Let me see if I can get through a few more of these. 
Uh, we don't have much time left. Boy, this went a lot faster than I was expecting. Um, You guys have some really good questions. I sure wish you'd sent these to me earlier in the week. Uh, this is off the subject of homewreckers, but is it wrong to have gay friends and love them? No, of course not. It's not wrong to love people who have same-sex attraction, just like it's not wrong to love people who, uh, you know, whatever. What we were talking about earlier was if a person professes to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the way that we love them is to come alongside and say, this is not what God wants for your life, and if I can do anything to help you fight that, I will. But if they say, no, I'm determined to do, I know that's what the Bible teaches, but I'm not doing it, then love looks different than just like, oh, okay, everything's fine. Um, now, that's talking about believers. Now, if we're talking about someone who's not a believer in Jesus Christ, love then looks very much like sharing the gospel and doing what we can to help them see, okay? But no, it's not wrong to love anybody. We should be loving everybody. How that love plays out is going to depend on the situation and what that person's profession is with regard to the gospel of Jesus, okay? Um, gosh. Uh, yeah. Boy, if I even launch in this, this is going to be another 15 minutes. And it's already 10.25. So, yeah, we should do this again, huh? Okay, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then we are going to uh, uh, sing some more, or receive our offering, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back to this uh, <laughs> sometime. I, I don't know when. Let's pray. Uh, Father, um, thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son to die on a cross that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you that your gospel applies to each one of us because we are all sinners. We have all, like sheep, gone astray. We have wandered away from the truth. And, Lord, only by your grace do we have any hope of being right with you and of living the life you want us to live. Um, so, Lord, will you help us as we struggle with some of these questions and how to apply them and what it looks like to love people who are um, embracing things that your word says are not good. Um, help us know how to do that. Lord, may we be a people who are known by our love and by our embrace of your truth. Uh, will you show us how to live it out in our families, in our friendships? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.